are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from, everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Well, good morning. For all of you who are here in the room and all of you who are watching from home or wherever you're watching, maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're on a beach, uh, thank you for joining us. I have a new rule. Um, that can't be the last song before I have to come preach because that song makes me cry. And so, Jesse, beautiful, Allison, good night. I'm not supposed to start out crying. Uh, because it doesn't feel, does it feel unwell with our soul right now? Like just singing those words helps, but it doesn't feel well in my soul right now. And if I'm just being completely honest, it's just, it's, it's rough. There are a lot of things happening. I've had a lot of conversations with you all and, and things. We're going to talk about some real crap today, like some real stuff. We're getting to politics. And I want to take you back to 1996. 1996 is my senior year of high school. Now I love politics. Uh, at the time, especially I was vice president of our student council. My good friend, David Hallett, was president, and actually we would end up being roommates in college, and I'm obsessed with politics. I love it. I love uh, winning. I love achieving, and uh, I would go on to be like the area governing governing board in college. I'd be the president of all that. Anyway, so I love it, right? And it's 1996, and if you remember that election, it was Bob Dole against Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was the incumbent, and I was raised in the religious right. Uh, At the time, that's the language we would use in the 90s. And so I was a staunch Republican, and we were right, and, you know, fundamentalism, and that was the right way to think about things. And so I, I went to, he came to Independence at like five in the morning one year. And my friend Lucas and I, and my friend Robbie, we got up at like one o'clock in the morning. We sl- I don't think we slept, actually. I think we stayed up all night. We got up at one. He was in um, Independence at the square. And we got up, crack it on. No, we're cracking on. It's like two in the morning. And we got up and we went out there thinking we're going to be there like three hours early, right? And we can get a seat to meet Bob Dole. Like that's our hero that year. And so uh, I get up and we get there and there's like thousands, probably tens of thousands of people, like all over the square. And I wasn't going to let that stop me. And so we just like literally pushed our way through the crowd and got to listen to Bob Dole give his speech and like he passed in front of me, like, you know, there's all these ropes and they keep you back. So I, I couldn't touch him. I wanted to, but, uh, he like, he like passed in front of me and that was pretty exciting. Right. And so I was raised that way. And then I went to college and, and then my uh, politics, the way I saw government changed and I went from extreme right to, I went to extreme left. And so in, uh, 2011, there was this awful tornado in the city of Joplin and it leveled half of the town. And in 2012, I got to be a part of a project where we rebuilt the high school in Joplin and the hospital. And at the end of that project, uh, Obama was president and uh, Joe Biden was vice president. And Joe Biden came to the ribbon cutting. We set a world record for the longest ribbon cutting ever in the world. And again, I got to stay in like this close to, to, you know, to say hi to Joe Biden. And I thought that was really cool. And my politics shifted from this over to here. And then today I, I, I take a step back and I go, you know, I don't need to identify with that side or that side. I think there's something bigger. I've learned in my faith that there is something bigger going on than my support for a certain candidate. 
And I'm going to make the argument today that we need to talk about politics more, not talk about politics less. Now, the word politics just means the conversations we have about the things we do and the decisions we make in life. What I think we're sick and tired of is talking about government and talking about politicians. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? I don't know if I'm going to do this, but come on. We're tired of talking about government, and we're tired of talking about crooked politicians, because how does it feel? It feels like there's somebody out there, we call them politicians, they run our government, and it doesn't matter which side you're on, but it feels like we're removed from them, and it feels like the whole system is broken and crooked. Ooh, don't knock that over. Uh, Do you feel like, like that? That's how I feel. And I, and, I, and I want to take a step back, and I want to say that it's okay to talk about politics. Politics are just the issues we deal with in our culture. It, it's the discussion of people and systems and resources. And guess what? Jesus talked politics. Jesus talked about how we treat each other, the things we do. Now, Jesus did not use government as his vehicle in order to accomplish the politics that he was talking about. I want to say that again. Jesus came to change the world, but he did not use government to implement these new ideas of which he was talking about, which was very, very, very political because it's the way we treat people. Politics is the how do we treat? How do we make decisions? What do we do with X? And so I want to invite you into a space today where we find comfort, that we have healthy conversations That it's okay to talk about what we believe and what we stand for, but not at the expense of relationship with one another. Like, we have to be more than the political party that we affiliate with. I mean, I'm a flip-flopper, right? I went from this side to this side, and now now I'm over here somewhere in the middle. And and I think that's okay. Because we tend to think of this side is good and right, and this side is bad and wrong. I mean, do you do that? This is how it's portrayed. And of course, each side has God on their side. Well, of course, that couldn't possibly be, could it? Because it's not about right and wrong. And what used to work over here, that's part of who I am. That's part of my makeup. When I was young, that there were good things instilled in me. And that's not bad. That's good. And then later in life, I was this over here. And that is also part of who I am. And I learned good things. And that is a part of me. And that's okay. It's not bad. What if in the conflict between left and right and conservative and, and, and traditional and, and progressive and liberal, what if it's within that? It's within that debate, within that argument. What if the truth is in that conflict? What if it's necessary? What if there was a country founded that there were arms of government where conflict was supposed to happen? But what's happened is, like in a marriage, conflict is good and healthy. Arguing is good and healthy. It's how we resolve issues. But like in a marriage, when it becomes fighting and when it becomes personal, when we start attacking the other person, when it becomes ugly, well, that's when the problem comes. And that's when relationship is damaged. That's when the marriage of these two beautiful human beings, when they come together in conflict and disagreement. But when fighting happens, it separates. And I think we find ourselves in a condition right now where we're fighting. And because I've talked to many of you, I've had several conversations with you. There are some of you in this room who have come to me and said, Mike, you know, there's this person, you know, they were a Democrat. And I'm like, I'm going to stop you there because no, I don't know what you're saying. Or those of you saying, you know, I was, because they're talking bad about somebody or they were a Republican, right? I'm like, no, I'm going to stop you there. 
That's like saying, oh, well, you know, there's this woman or this black person. No, we don't, we do not classify people in a group and say that they're all bad. There's no such thing. It doesn't work like that. The other side is not the enemy. And I'm proud of the fact that we have a church and that we have a community here where there are people from both sides of the table where we can have healthy conversations and dialogue about what we, the way we think that our government should operate. And so I think we should have these healthy conversations. We're just not very good at it. Now, there's this story where Jesus speaks into this certain condition. Because where do we disagree? Like, I think we all think that we should be doing good and helping each other. We kind of disagree on the way that should happen, how that should come about. And where we really disagree is, is that our taxes, right? Because our taxes get paid into a system. And then it's how do we spend that money is where usually we disagree. And I'm now in the background going, I just want less taxes. I'm not sure we should be doing all, you know, anyway. That's a whole other conversation. That gets into a third-party system and our binary, and we only have two parties that get to come to the table. Anyway, it's really broken. But let's go back to what Jesus said. So Jesus is in a crowd of people. It's in, where is it? I wrote it down. Mark 12. And they come to him. They say, Jesus. Um, Here, I should read it. Teacher, we know that you are an honest man. You are not afraid of what other people think about you. All men are the same to you. And you teach the truth about God's ways. Tell us, is it right to pay tax to Caesar? Should we pay them or not? Now, isn't it interesting that people were fighting about taxes 2,000 years ago? I'm so happy we've progressed and aren't still fighting about taxes and what we should do. He says, but Jesus knew what these men were trying to do. He said, why are you trying to trap me? He says, bring me a silver coin and let me see it. So we have coins, but mainly what do we have today? We have bills, right? I mean, I have kids, so I really only have coins. I don't have bills anymore, but I have bills, just not dollar bills. Okay. So he says, bring me some money, okay? Let me see it. They gave Jesus a coin, and he asked, whose picture is on the coin? I love this, what Jesus does. So do you have money? Pull out some money. We're gonna do a little exercise. If you're at home, get some money out. Men, go to your wives. We know where that's, they, they always control the money. I have a 20 and I have a five. I don't see anybody reaching for their wallet. I'm not gonna ask for it afterwards, come on. We're scared. I'm not going to take your money. But if you want to, there's boxes in the back of the sanctuary. Okay. <laughs> Who's on our money? Is it Jesus? Is this some image of God? I have a Jackson and I have a Lincoln. Any Benjamins? Can I borrow it? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and then Jesus says, well, who's on this money? Of course, it was Caesar at the time. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, is what Jesus says. And give to God what is God's. The tangible things of this earth, our monetary system, we idolize a bunch of old men who are dead. Right? Give that, let that be what it is, but what is God's? And what is God's? When we say everything is God's, what is God's? What's in our heart is God's. What's in our mind is God's. Right? Ideas. Goodness. These are all things in which we describe God. Let that be to God. Let that thing over there be that thing. Our hope is not in that. Our hope is not in money. Our hope is not in taxes. Our hope is not in government. That is not our Savior. What is our Savior is this new idea. This idea that all the other things, that we can make a difference as an individual. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. That is always going to be what it is. 
that is, does not define who we are. It may describe parts of who we are, but it does not define us. What defines us is our faith, our spirit, our soul. These are the things that define who we are. And so Jesus says, go and do that. You can make a difference. You want to make a difference? Live your life as an individual. Now, what's interesting is um, Jesus has those words. He sets the bar. And then Paul comes along after Jesus. Paul traveled the world, and he was in this town called Galatia. It's uh, modern-day Turkey. And so he wrote this book to the Galatians, the people of Galatia. And he says this. He's talking about, he says, once you become a Christian... And what I would say is that um, all people, we are all connected by something. We call this faith. We call this spirituality. He uses the term Christian, right? But I think it goes beyond that. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to feel connected to other people. I always use the term, we have brothers and sisters who are Jewish who don't claim our faith. We have brothers and sisters who are of the Islam faith who don't claim this faith. We have brothers and sisters who are Buddhists, right? But there is something that connects us all. I believe we call it in our faith the Holy Spirit. He says, for you are all children of God through faith, and then his heritage is in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism and have put on, like putting on new clothes. And here's the important part. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, if I were Paul today, I think he would use different language. He's saying there's something that supersedes the things that we define ourselves as. And in their day, they defined themselves as Jew and Gentile, right? As slave or free, male and female. And we use some of these today. But I think if Paul were writing it today, he would say there would be, there's no longer Republican and Democrat. There's no longer progressive or traditional liberal or conservative. For we are all one. We are all united. We are all at the same table. We have something that takes us to a different place, a better place, a place that doesn't take sides, a place where we can make a difference as individuals. Now, don't hear me wrong. I think we should fight for what we believe in. Now, that's a bad term. We shouldn't fight for it, because fighting is ugly. We should argue for what we believe in. And there are those of you listening, there are those of you who are here this, this week that are, Amy and Allison and I are sitting in the office last week, and, and uh, I don't know if it was Allison or Amy, one of them are like, you know, this has a chance of pissing everybody off. That's true. Uh, there's, there is a chance of that. That's not my goal today. I'm not trying to destroy who you are in your politics. What I'm saying is there is something greater than that. And we have to identify with that. We have to tap into that. And Jesus' message was that we can do something about it. And how you vote's important, but that's not the end-all be-all. How you live your life is the most important thing. You can make a difference. Your vote can make a difference in our country, but it doesn't change everything. Like there's no president in the history of time that's able to do everything they promise us, right? There's a list of promises, and they get three of them done on a good four years. All right, so Paul goes on, and um, it's long, so I'm going to, in, in Galatians, and I, and I want to read this because I already joked about how they were fighting about taxes. The things that we're dealing with right now you know, people use terminology. This is the most important presidential election of our time. Well, of course it is. It's the only presidential election right now. Every, I mean, I've been, I've been enough, a part of enough elections. Everybody says that. 
and, and, and I get emails, some of you have already emailed me, and I'm going to respond in love, but you're like, if my candidate doesn't get elected, the world's going to end. It's not going to end. Like, the world's not going to fall apart. Are we polarized? Yes. We're going to talk about that right now. We are, and I think maybe more polarized, but I don't know. When I go back and read Galatians and what I'm about to read to you, they were fighting. They couldn't disagree, and Paul addresses it. It's like Paul speaking to us. It's like there's a book or something that has truths in it, ancient, old truths in it that we can read about, that, about the human condition that still apply to us today. Because guess what? The condition's the same. I would like to say that we change and we become better people, but it just shifts from issue to issue. It's the same condition. Our way is right, they're wrong, and we make them the enemy. Instead of saying that, you know what, there are good people on all sides of things. And the, de- the demonification of people is where we miss the boat. And this has been happening for thousands, not tens of years, 50 years, 100, thousands of years. Way before Paul even. But we're going to read about what Paul talks about. He said, it's absolutely clear that God has called me, no, called you to a free life. I like that. We're all about freedom, right? That's where God has called us to. That's where he's telling the people of Galatia. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Does that speak to us right now? The freedoms that we have, we are using to destroy the very thing that we are claiming to be doing. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another and love. I'm going to read that again. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another and love. That's how freedom grows. You want more freedoms? You want to be free? If that's important to you, love each other. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence, right? And then he reiterates what Jesus said, how to sum everything up. Love others as you love yourself. That is an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Is this speaking to you? I'm ready for somebody to shout out and go, amen. Yeah, I mean, this like, this is what we're dealing with. We claim freedom, but then we oppress each other. And I understand that there are oppressive systems and we need to fix some stuff, but we can't fix oppressive systems by being oppressive. You don't fight darkness with darkness. You fight darkness with light and with love. He says, my counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of, selfish, of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit. What's Paul saying? Within us, there's some root, there's something in us in our humanity that makes us selfish. We also call that sin. He says that condition, which is what we're talking about, that sinful, selfish condition, is at odds with the spirit. So it's at odds with God. They are two different things. And we were, when we participate in that sin, selfishness, in our way, when we say that our way is the only right way, we are not participating in the Spirit of God. Just as the free spirit is incapable, incompatible with selfishness, these two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at other times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? Now, what he's talking about there is 
when Jesus comes on the scene, we have 700 and some odd laws, right? They were trying to write laws uh, in, in which they could force people to be good. Do we see that right now? Do we see people on both sides trying to force people to be good? Can you force people to be good? No. Jesus came to change the heart. Jesus didn't come to bring new laws and new commandments. Actually, he did. A new commandment I give you to love one another, to love God, to love others as self. That is the one thing he told us. He didn't come to legislate, to write down, to have new laws, yet we are still trying to do this today. We're still trying to write new laws to make people better people. How you make people better people is by loving them, by being in relationship, by having conversations, by talking about politics. And I have no idea where I'm at in all this. Um, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. I never do this. I always let people have their way. All the people who know me know that's not true. This is what happens when you do that. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. That's how he describes when you're always trying to get your way. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-mindedness and lopsided pursuits, the, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. I'm going to say that again. When we are not a part of the Spirit, when we are selfish, he lists all these things. And we act like these are new things. It says uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, right? And the depersonalizations of everyone into a rival. Ugly parodies of community. He says, and I could go on. I like ugly parodies of community. Those are, SNL's a great show. Okay. He says, this isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Jesus came and talked about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, life looks like this. And he talks and he preaches about it. Love, hope, joy, peace. There are fruits of this spirit that we're talking about that connects us, that transcends, that brings us into a new space. He says, in God's kingdom, freedom is used a different way. But what happens when, you live, when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. I'm going to say that again. He says we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. Do we believe that a basic holiness permeates things and people? No, we're right, they're wrong. I believe that we are all created in a way that there's this selfishness, but we're also all created and there's a part of holiness within each of us and we can access those things. We find ourselves involved in local commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. 
Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessity is killed off for good and crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. He's saying you have to work these things out in your life. We can't, I mean, we can vote, but, but that's not going to change the broken system. We can make a difference in how we live our life, in every detail, in every way we live our lives. And we can't treat each other as if we were better and another one's worse. We have far more interesting things to do in our lives. Each of us is an original when I read that this week in preparation for this sermon, I'm amazed that after thousands of years, we're still fighting about the same exact same things over and over and over again. When are we going to progress? When are we going to realize that at our core, that, that whatever thing is going on inside of us, last week I talked about holding up a mirror to yourself the best mentors and coaches and, and spiritual guides in life hold up a mirror. The enemy is not somebody else. The enemy is you. The enemy's within. The things we have to change, we can only change about ourselves. We cannot change other people. I grew up in a faith where that was our job to change other people. I mean, we use different language, but that really was the goal. We were going to set out and show them our way, and that was the best way, and we're going to change them. Instead of I have a chance to see that the things I do may be harmful to people and I can change myself. I can change the way I live my life. I can make a difference for what I do each and every single day. But this is not easy. You know, even in our political system, even in, with our officials, uh, there was a time and place when people disagreed but got along. And I think our our communities, our cultures, we go in cycles. And things blow up and explode. And I think we're just in one of those times right now where the tensions are so high with the economy and, and race and a pandemic. Like all these things are culminating onto one point in time. And it feels desperate. It feels like there's a great need. But you know, there is hope. There is hope that we can do things. I was watching a movie last night um, about... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it was telling the story of her life. Now, when she was nominated and approved, I mean, she had like a 97% approval rating. It didn't matter which side of the aisle you fell. She tended to be a little more progressive, but she was loved and accepted by all. You know why? Her approach to people was that she had conversations. She didn't yell. She didn't scream. She didn't get aggravated. She had conversations with people. If you know anything about our Supreme Court system, when she was a justice, her and why do I always mess his name up? Scalia. Scalia, thank you. I have it written down, but I don't look at my notes. Okay, so her and Scalia, he was uber conservative. She was more progressive, right? They had this beautiful relationship, and they did stuff together. There's a picture of them on an elephant, like in Africa together, and they went to events together, and they, they talked, and they would debate, and they would have dialogue, but guess what? They weren't enemies. They were friends. My fear is that we have lost good people like that in our communities. Both of them have passed on. 
And what we're left with are people who are fighting it against each other. You know, this church was started uh, way before it became Woods Chapel. 30 plus years ago with St. Peter United Methodist Church. Steve Breon was the pastor. I know Steve, he's a friend of mine. Sally Haynes is another pastor that used to be here in Blue Springs. Breon used to be traditional and conservative and she was progressive and liberal, however you want to describe that. And, and they both tell me stories about how they used to go out together. And they would talk about their faith in different ways and they would debate and have discussion and arguments. But at the end of the day, guess what they were? They were people of faith. They were Christians. We've lost that. We've lost the ability to have difficult conversations about what we believe and so we vilify people. We make them the enemy and they are not the enemy. If somebody says something and you have a visceral reaction, if you have a violent reaction to something somebody says, guess what? They don't have a problem, you have a problem. Like if you're reacting to something, the problem's in you. I promise, it's not just on the other side because you can't change that. You know, I've been telling people that on November 3rd, there's something really good that's gonna happen And there's something that's not so good that's going to happen. The not so good thing that's going to happen is we're going to elect a president. And I don't care which one it is. It's not a good thing. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to take a side. And I honestly believe that. We're going to elect a president. But guess what else is happening on November 3rd? There is a young man in this church who I call my son. His name is Brian, and Brian has been with us for the last year, and on November 3rd, we go to court. And a young man who is a part of your community, a part of your culture, who has come in and who you have loved and accepted and included, officially, according to the government, hopefully, will become our son. And guess what? I did not need the government to tell me that that was okay. You didn't need the government to tell you that that was okay, that he had to be my son on paper to accept him and love him. You can make a difference. Yes, your vote is important, but what's even more important is how you live your life. There are people around you who need your love, acceptance, and inclusion. And the way we use our resources, the way we use our time, the way we use our money, and the way we use our talents are vitally and crucially important to who we are as a community and who we are as Christians. When we use those for good, when we use those to help each other and to love each other, that is what transforms and changes the world, not how we spend our tax dollars. Those things are important, but they do not define us. So today I want to invite you into a space. Talk about your politics. Talk about the important things in life, about loving young people, about including those, about taking the orphan and the widow in and the enslaved and the imprisoned. Talk about those things. I wore this shirt because it says it invites you to see that there is good in the world. The most important thing you can realize in politics is that you can be that good. You can make a difference. You have the ability to actually change and transform and be a part of somebody else's life. It's not your vote. I mean, that does, that has an impact, but the most impactful thing you can do is live your life out for those around you. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity. God, to love to include, to accept, 
And God, it's easy for us to put labels on ourselves and on other people, to want to see them as a group of people that all agree the same and that they're all bad. God, help us to remove those labels. Help us to see each other as human beings, as people who need to love each other and be there for each other. God, we can make a difference through our everyday actions. We can make a difference in the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, and the things we do for those around us. Help us to continue to use all those things for the benefit of all of those around us. And God, help us to stop vilifying each other. Other is not the enemy. Help us to see that every day. Help us to look into that mirror, that ugly mirror, and to see that we are things in our life that we can change about ourselves. God, we love you. Help us to love each other. Help us to see that there is good in the world and help us to be that good. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.